Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 140 with Andy Fang of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Chan, the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine and the host of the Founder Podcast. I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are around the world. I'm really, really excited to share this interview with you. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. Let's talk about today's guest, Andy Fang. Uh, He's the co-founder of a company called DoorDash. And when I went to the States last year, this was one of our favorite apps. One of my friends, Daniel, told me about it. And it's something, there's something so extremely addictive about it. It's like an Uber Eats, but it's just so much more convenient and it's just crazy popular. Like we ended up spending hundreds upon hundreds of dollars using uh, DoorDash, just getting takeaway food. It was crazy. And uh, yeah, pretty much it's, it's an extremely fast growing startup. And I got a chance to interview the founder and, and find out how the hell they're growing so fast. And these guys are your typical, really, really fast-growing Silicon Valley startup. A lot of interesting information on how they're growing so fast, how they build a great product. How Do they care about the competition like Uber Eats or Deliveroo? 
uh, and all these other big competitors. Uh, so you'll get a really, really inside ground seat of how a company like DoorDash is growing so extremely fast and what to do when you're in such a competitive market against startups that you know have billions of dollars worth of funding, which is insane. So I'm not going to tell you any more, but this is a great interview. You're going to get a ton of gold, heaps of gold nuggets shared. So that's it from me, guys. And before I jump into the show, I just wanted to let you know that we are working on an amazing solution. If you do want to start an e-commerce business, sell a physical product, you want to start a business, don't know where to start, we are teaming up with an incredibly talented entrepreneur and uh, we're working on our first co-collaborator course. And if you want to know more about when that goes live and find out more, just go to foundermag, F-O-U-N-D-R-M-A-G.com forward slash e-commerce. All right, guys, if you are enjoying this episode also, please do take the time to leave us a five-star review. It helps more than you can imagine. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. All right, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. So the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess uh, given that, uh, you know, we started in school, it was really just about, I mean, coming together. At DoorDash, we actually started out by interviewing literally hundreds of small business owners uh, throughout the Bay Area. And, you know, I think it all came about pretty organically, to be honest, because we are all talking to small business owners. We're all trying to figure out what exactly are these people dealing with? What kinds of problems do they have? And we're coming about it as you know, college students. You know, and when we were saying that, people were very receptive to talking to us. Because normally when they uh, have people come in, they, they come in as salespeople. And so they're very hesitant to talk to them. But for us, we were coming in saying, hey, look, we're just students looking to learn more about you. And that's when people really started to open up to us. And um, you know, we learned a ton of insights just talking to these people, very varied in terms of their backgrounds, in terms of their um, inspirations for starting a business. You know, it just kind of started off from there. And from there, I mean, I come from an engineering background, but, you know, the first work I did, very little code, to be honest. I mean, our first product, our MVP was just the HTML website. And so most of the work we did was not building out the product or building out the code, but it was really validating uh, the problems we were seeing and talking to users. Gotcha. I see. So how did the concept for DoorDash come about? Yeah, so um, that's pretty related to, you know, talking to these small business owners because when we first started the founding team, we all were passionate about learning more about how to really empower local economies, really how to get merchants to be more involved um, in the growth of a local community. And so we talked to a bunch of these small business owners and, uh, you know, retail, restaurants, services, you name it. And basically, that's when we discovered there's a big problem with delivery. And that was actually a really big surprise to us. That's not something we would have guessed because we thought delivery was already a solved problem. Uh, but, you know, talking to these people, that's something that came up consistently. And that was something that we did not think of coming into these conversations, but something that certainly came out at the end of having all these chats. So that's kind of how it all got started. And then from that point on, we built out a HTML website called paloaltodelivery.com, where it was literally just a link uh, to a Google Voice number that forwarded to all of our personal cell phones. 
and a bunch of PDF menu links. And we're basically trying to see, look, if we have a website that is, that is this bare bones, would we be able to get any interest in it? And, you know, that's kind of how it all got started. Yeah, wow, interesting. Because when I, I just come back from the States and uh, one of my friends, we were doing, you know, the whole Airbnb thing. I was gone for about six weeks. And one of my friends was like, oh, you know, um, I actually had to delete this app called DoorDash because I've spent thousands of dollars on it every month because it's so addictive. And we got on it, me and my girlfriend, we were traveling around and we just used it everywhere we went. It's so convenient and you have so many options which really fascinates me. Um, so you, you guys, you guys started in, in 2013, uh, you did YC summer of 13. Uh, so what happened next? Yeah. So basically went through YC and, um, after demo day, we were basically, you know, trying to see if there's any interest for people to invest in our seed room. And we were fortunate enough to be able to stand out from the crowd. I mean, YC actually is a lot bigger nowadays, but back then it felt pretty big. But we're, you know, uh, fortunate enough to stand out through the crowd. I think people really believed in the team, first and foremost. We had a really strong team, people with diverse backgrounds, you know, from Stanford. I think that was really something that stood out. And also just the space we were in was very intriguing. Um, and so we were able to close the seed round. Um, and from that point on, I think that's when we're really focused on, okay, we, we have this MVP product, we're growing it out. How do we just, you know, go even faster and scale it out even more? And that's one for me personally, that's when a lot of the challenges around building out an organization, building out a team, that's when that really started kicking a high gear for me. Because before that point, to be very honest, is us being very scrappy, just figuring out what the heck uh, we wanted to build. And after we validated our product idea, it was all about how do we just grow this product that we've already built. Mm. When you talk about validation, um, at what point did you, what, what, what metrics or what points were you looking for to say, yep, we're onto something? That's a great question. That's a question I actually get a lot too. To be very honest, uh, that number changed over time. I mean, we, first we thought it was, can we get 10 orders a day? Then it was, can we get 20 orders a day? Um, and then it just, you know, that number really kept shifting for us because once we hit the number we thought was impossible to reach, we're like, well, this doesn't seem like that much. Why don't we shoot for something higher? And so it was really a moving target uh, in terms of when do we think this is actually something special, something we really want to build. And I think that's something where, you know, I don't take for granted at all the fact that we had a really, you know, close bond at the very beginning, our founding team, where we just believed in each other. You know, we believe that we had a really talented team. We believe that we we're onto something big. Uh, we really believed in the impact we we're having. And I think those were the motivators uh, that really pushed us through the hard times uh, and pushed us through when, you know, there are maybe a couple of days, a couple of weeks where we didn't see things grow. In fact, maybe things even shrank. But, you know, I think it's just sticking it through with uh, my co-founders and the early team. I think that was really what helped drive, you know, the, the early momentum early on. Because we, you know, every now and then we would sit back and talk about, okay, at what point do we think this is something uh, that's going to catch on? And you know, as I think about it in hindsight, that that inflection point or that milestone always changed whenever we talked about it. Hmm, I see. And talk to us about your founding team. What what made it so special? Can you tell us about you know the elements of of what it takes to to build a fast growth startup and the importance of getting the right people on the bus in the early days? 
Yeah, I can talk about it a little bit. I mean, so, uh, you know, we got Tony, who's currently the CEO, um, you know, working with, I also coded the initial code base up with Stanley. I think something, I think number one thing that's very important to found a team is building the trust and respect. Um, and that's something we had from day one. I think it was very helpful that we had our own areas of expertise and areas of interest. You know, Tony was very operationally heavy, you know, and he came from, you know, Stanford GSP and Berkeley undergrad. I worked at Square as well at eBay. And so he was very operationally intent. Stanley, I actually, you know, was uh, in the same freshman dorm as him. Uh, we actually both studied computer science, but he, uh, even though he came from an engineering background technically, he was very into design and uh, HCI. That's That was his specialization at Stanford. Um, so he gravitated a lot towards the product side, the design side. And was for, as for myself, it was mainly just around engineering, just building up the code base, building up a team, making sure we had a solid product that was stable. You know, so we each had our own areas of expertise. At the same time, we all trusted that the other person knew how to do their job and that the other person had the best intentions in mind. Um, and I think really it's just the trust and respect, um, that really carried us through. Mm, yeah, that's so key. So talk to us about the early days. Are you, um, you know, how, how did you, cause it's, it's a two-sided marketplace, right? You need, you need people making orders, but you also need, um, you know, people to be able to drive, um, to do the deliveries plus, you know, are the deliveries handled by the by the shop front that is, you know, the restaurants, is that, or that's a, that's middleman as well. Yeah. So actually it's a three-sided marketplace because uh, we actually uh, onboard a fleet of drivers. Uh, we call them dashers because they can be on cars or scooters or bikes. So it's really figuring out how to balance a three-sided marketplace that we're merchants for dashers and obviously the customers as well. Yes. So how, how did, like, obviously you guys in the early days, you just did the operational delivery of the pro of the, of, of the food in the early days, like, like we yeah. all do, you know, you, you get out there, you pull up your sleeves, uh-huh. but, um, uh, tell it cause you grew you guys have grown very, very fast. How did you manage that? And, and what did that look like? Can you walk us through kind of some of the things that were happening at, at that point in time and some of the pivotal, I guess, turning points that you guys made to be able to make the right moves, which I think is very, very key in terms of an execution on what you yeah. guys are trying to achieve. No, 100%. Yeah, execution is definitely, I've come to learn, is almost underrated. Yeah, so I think for us, so when we first started, we were doing the first, literally the first couple hundred deliveries all by ourselves. Um, we took turns uh, dispatching orders and then other people delivered them. And then when we kept growing bigger, uh, we had a lot of important decisions to make in terms of what to focus on. One key decision that I really like to talk about is when we were figuring out what was the first mobile product that we wanted to build out. Um, and we had a huge debate over whether the first mobile product should be our Dasher app or should it be a consumer app? Because we're dispatching our Dashers through Find My Friends um, and SMS and email. And the customers are still ordering through that janky PDF website. So it was a really big and contentious point back then in terms of what to focus on first. And I think that was the decision we made there was, I think, very crucial in terms of how we're able to succeed moving forward. Ultimately, what we decided on was we needed to focus on the Dasher app first. Uh, the reason why we rationalize that is because at the end of the day, DoorDash is first and foremost a logistics company where 
you know, the customer experience is not just ordering through a website or through an app, but it's can we actually physically transport something from A to B on time, quickly, every single time, right? And that was something that really helped us be laser focused in terms of what we cared about and what we focused on in the beginning. And uh, that's why we decided to first build the Dash app first. Because we made that decision, because of the rationalization we had behind that decision, really had a ripple effect in terms of the future decisions we made in terms of what products to build, um, how do we operationalize, how do we scale, uh, and we kept coming back to this point about the core product being actually doing the logistics. Um, and that was something that um, was really powerful in terms of uh, getting everyone on the same page, which even though we had you know, fewer than 10 people back then, getting people on the same page is still, still challenging at, at that level of scale. And I think that was, that was an important decision we made early on, among others, but that's the one that really sticks out. Gotcha. And would you be able to give us some met- metrics around traction? Yeah, certainly. So I think in the very beginning, I mean, the numbers are so small, so the week on week kind of sound ludicrous, but in the very beginning, we're growing like 20% week on week, even 30% on some weeks. And, you know, compared to today where we're doing like million deliveries a month, it's wow. pretty incredible to, you know, see just like how, you know, just that level of scale just kind of incredible but early on it was just i think it was double digit week on week growth for quite quite a long period of time so i think that was something that um how did we decide on that to be honest it was kind of you know just guessing uh, but also you know that's kind of some of the benefit that we had from yc was talking to some of the partners there as well as some of the other founders in our batch just like getting a sense of like what what is fast growth when you're so small. I mean, a lot of people had double digit week on week growth numbers during you know the YC period, but I think the the challenging part and the part that was really a test of this is actually product market fit was how sustainable was that growth, um, and could you sustain it over time? Mm, yeah, interesting. And when it comes to acquisition, um, how what was fueling? What was what what's been fueling the growth besides having a great product and it's it's quite shareable and you know um, you know if if someone's going to get food then you know say they're going to tell their friends there's going to be a strong sense of word of mouth and there's a lot of you know do you use DoorDash in in you know whatever you do but I'm curious what what else is driving the growth what do you have any really good growth hacks that you could share or or any solid customer acquisition channels that have been killing it for you guys that you may not have expected. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, you look at today, you know, there's big levers of growth in terms of paid marketing, obviously. Um, SEO always continues to be a big one. I think one that we underestimated early on. And obviously, word of mouth is very hard to quantify. And, you know, I think we go back and forth a couple of times. But in the beginning, this is something we're very bullish on was around offline marketing in terms of getting the presence out there. Just getting the awareness out there, I think, was really important. But I think more importantly than that, it's really about focusing on continuing to delight the people who love you the most. Um, if I think about the early days in terms of what we spent our time on, I think about today what we really care about in terms of what feels growth. Um, it's ultimately making the users that love you continue to love you. Um, in the early days, that those people were the people we relied on to spread the word about us. And today, if you think about how do you grow more, if you can lift retention by uh, you know, single percentage point that does wonders for your growth. And I think 
that's been a, a continual thing for us in terms of how we've been thinking about growth. Mm, I see. And can you talk to us about the business model just for um, people to understand, um, you know, how you guys make money? Are you able to share if you're profitable or not? Yeah, I can certainly talk about the business model. So we get revenue from both the customers and our merchants. Um, and, you know, net minus, you know, dash for costs and things like that, you know, we're definitely profitable. Um, I think particularly in some of our early markets, uh, we're even cash flow profitable. So just including G&A, administrative costs, you know, marketing costs, we're still positive. And that's a trend that um, we're continuing to see in our markets that are still growing. What's next? You guys haven't come to Australia yet. Um, that was <laughs> that was the first thing I looked at. Um, <laughs> there are uh, a few entrants actually in the Australian market having a sim with, with pretty much the same concept. Um, there's one called Deliveroo, mm -hmm. and there's um, you know Uber Eats is here as well. Yeah, um, yeah I'm really curious. You know, uh, do you guys plan to go to other countries? What would be the strategy to drop yourselves into a country, uh, into a country, or more than anything, a city? You know, targeting yeah. somewhere like Melbourne. What 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 kind of things would you do to really blow stuff up and and really ca capitalize on the market if there are already players in this space right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for us, when we think about 2017, you know, continuing to expand our footprint internationally is definitely a big part of the conversation in terms of how we think about 2017. In terms of answering your question about. Um, how we think about entering a new market in the market. Currently today, we're in the United States and Canada. And so we do have a little bit of experience already just expanding beyond the United States. But when we think about expanding to other international markets, I think for us, it's really looking at the economic feasibility of entering that market in terms of what's, what are the demographics there? Um, who would our target customers be? You know, where are the, the merchants that people love and order from a lot? Um, do we think that, uh, you know, there's a reasonable amount of car ownership there to, you know, enable these deliveries to actually happen? Those are the things we really look at first. I think when you talk about competition, you know, people like Deliveroo or Uber Eats, we certainly think about them a lot uh, in terms of, you know, what they're doing, uh, because we don't think they're making dumb decisions. We actually look at them as, in terms of saying, okay, there has to be a reason why they're making decisions X, Y, and Z. But in terms of would we want to enter a market where other people are in? Yeah, certainly, if it makes sense for us. I think for us, we just evaluate uh, the things I talked about earlier. Um, but in terms of factoring in another competition, I think that's it's really on a case-by-case -case basis depending on uh, the maturation of that market. Gotcha. So you couldn't give any examples or, or any strategy on how you might approach a new market, like if you were to come to Melbourne knowing that there is a presence with a similar service you know, it is like it, I, I see these delivery bikes everywhere. They're advertising everywhere. People are starting to become accustomed to order food where they don't have to go and go and get it. Um, and they and like a lot of places are doing delivery. I'm just I'd just be really curious to pick pick your brain from a strategy standpoint. Like, what what kind of things would you do uh, to to really capitalize on the market here? Yeah, I mean, I think I, what I can do is talk about how we kind of gone into competitive markets in the United States. Yeah, I'd um, love that. Um, yeah, um, in terms of how we thought about that, I think really capitalizing on really relationships that we built over a long period of time with merchants. Um, I think that's been a great area for us to leverage because once we get merchant support, because of our world-class ability to uh, integrate with their operations, 
in terms of our ability to partner with them and to give them that account management. That's been really helpful for us to have a footprint in the market before we need an engineer. You know, leveraging their you know marketing dollars, their brand to really help jumpstart a market has been really helpful for us. And the fact that we've been able to partner with big brands like you know some young brands partners like Taco Bell, you know KFC, even players like PF Chang's and uh, stuff like that, Cheesecake Factory. Um, those kinds of partnerships have really helped us in terms of understanding where we can launch into with minimal effort. And that's certainly, you know, we've already seen in some places we've recently launched, it's been a huge help and something that other uh, competitors can't offer because they don't have those relationships. Hmm, that's really interesting. So partnerships have been incredibly key when you come in on the ground if you have existing relationships with big big merchants. Yeah, exactly. That's been a huge help. And we also have uh, fine-tuned a launch playbook where, you know, we know exactly what we need to do in terms of which merchants to get, uh, how many dashes you need on the road, uh, what kind of customers you want to target. And just to be really, uh, you know, honest about kind of how we assess the situation, there's a huge opportunity for people, even with all these players out there, there's still a huge amount of awareness to be gained in the general population around uh, the kind of service we're providing on demand delivery. And so we have that mentality as well going into these things where even though there's players out there like the Deliveroo's and the Uber Eats, what have you, there's still a lot of people who haven't even heard of any of these companies. And this is consistent with these user surveys that we run nationally, internationally. Um, so, you know, we've been very confident in all the, in the markets that we've launched, even if there's been you know, a couple of players in there. Yeah, and I, I must say, you know, there's something very special about your service and your app and your UI and your experience. I don't know what it is. I can't put a finger on it, Andy, but I can tell you that when I was in the States, me and my girlfriend, we used DoorDash flat out, especially because I have a lot of food allergies and, you know, if you, you're traveling, you know, doing, I was doing yeah. meetings all day. And, you yeah. know, we, we, she's like, what do you want to have for dinner? I was like, oh, let's just get DoorDash and see what's in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something much more special about what you guys do as opposed to us using an Uber Eats or a delivery, which we have used here in Melbourne. That's why I, I know you guys aren't here because I went to the website and I was like, oh, you know, um, it says you can't maybe coming soon to Australia. You're not sure or something along those lines. You might be coming soon. And, um, yeah, I don't know what it was though. I couldn't really put my finger on it. Uh, it was definitely around the availability when I was in the States, like, yeah. like, and that's, that's one thing I'm really curious about. You have a lot of merchants, like, you know, when I was in, in, in New York or LA, they're like, you know, these are big cities. Like you, you guys have so many merchants signed up. Have you, like, is it easy to sign up merchants for you guys or like, yeah, I can talk about that. I think one of our, uh, big you know components in terms of our, our uh, value proposition to our customers is really around selection um think about other things we care about we care about speed we care about the service the selection plays a huge role in terms of how we think about the customer value proposition and to answer your question about is it easier or not for us to sign up these merchants uh i want to say it's easy i think it's it's a it's a pretty intense operational challenge because you have to satisfy the operational needs of these merchants at scale for you know thousands of merchants. So I think that's been an interesting challenge for us, and we've something we've learned more about over the past three three or so years. Um, but yeah, I mean that's been a big focus of ours uh, in terms of 
gallery now merchant uh, merchant base of users, making sure that we understand the nuances in their operations, and you know, building that relationship, building that operational integration has really allowed us to basically have a similar word of mouth effect on the merchant side where, you know, we have these great partnerships, great relationships, especially when you, we land a big partner like a Taco Bell, for example, that really helps us, you know, get other deals as well because they understand most people who, like kind of going back to the initial uh, conversation had the very beginning where we're interviewing these small business merchants. Most of them don't like talking to product companies or don't like talking to salespeople, but when you have and start to build a reputation like ours, where we're merchant friendly, where we're really great in operationalizing with the merchants' day to day kitchen operations, then it just makes that conversation a lot easier. But um, it is something that we've built up over the years the reputation and as well as just uh, execution that we've built over the years. Mm, I see. And when it comes to um, dashes, uh, how do you incentivize for them to sign up? Because there are kind of many other on-demand services um, available, you know, right now, uh, this is this is becoming a, you know, a quite a, I guess, a normal thing, you know, we've got Uber, we've got, you know, all these, all these different on-demand services. How, how do you incentivize and, and uh, incentivize dashes to, to deliver for you guys? Yeah, that's a great question. I think first and foremost, thinking about what do these people care about? And Based on our surveys, uh, the number one thing people care about when you know, thinking about service, working for a service like DoorDash is really the flexibility um, in the hours and making sure that they can get paid at, at a time that they want to work. So I think that's something that we always keep in mind um, and something we always try to keep open for our dashers or the dashers who work with us on you know, the various cities that we're in. Um, I think when you think about you know, how do we get enough dashers to to make the, the platform work? Honestly, it's a it's been an exercise that we've been able to figure out and uh, very early on, uh, but certainly have been learning more and more about how dashers work, what kind of uh, demographic really speaks to becoming dashers, and that's different by city, by geography. Um, but honestly, it's just been something that, you know, it's just part of become part of the operational playbook in terms of understanding what these, uh, the needs are of these people and making sure that we can, uh, they're situated in the right geographies so that people in the regions, whether they're in New York or, you know, Boston or different neighborhoods in those cities, that we can make sure we can service the customers there as quickly as possible. Mm, gotcha. Awesome. Well, look, um, we have to work towards wrapping up. Um, a few final questions around scale, which I think um, is is not as easy as people think. Um, you know, you think that, that you know, way to, way to scale a company is either through, you know, create more products or sell more of your existing products or, you know, and you've got to use utilize people as well. And then also you can scale from partnerships. So, so, my my question to you is is with a company like yours growing so fast, how do you know what moves to make and how to keep scaling? Like like what are some some key things? This because um yeah, it's really it's 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 something that's not easy, and it's where a lot of startups fail when they try and scale. Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I think um, I think something that I've learned over the past three years is. Um, you know, in year one, 
I personally had a mentality of, you know, got to build the best product, you know, technology driven company, you know, everything else is come second to the product and the technology. Um, and I think that in hindsight was something that, you know, was pretty naive in my thinking. I mean, when you think about us today, we're certainly a technology company and, you know, we certainly grow with scale and um, we have advantages of scale, but you think about building out a company and scaling out a company. I think what's really important for a leadership team, any leadership team is you don't think about just your function. You think about, I'm not, for me now, my mentality, it's not just being a technology first, product first executive of the company. It's every decision that we make is company first. Um, and I think that's really important to think about when trying to figure out how to scale because it's pretty, it might sound easy, but it's, it's a pretty straightforward, you know, uh, principle. You know, the fastest way to scale is to remove the bottlenecks that are preventing you from growing the fastest. And the reason why I first talked about this point about company first as opposed to product first or operations first or a sales-driven company, you know, people always talk about, you know, are you a sales-driven company? Are you a you know, technology-driven company? You know, are you an operations-driven company? I think... You know, for us, obviously, we have to be good at all of those skills. And I think for us, what's really helped us grow and mature as a company is getting everyone on the leadership team to recognize it's not one or the other. You have to do everything well. And so when we think about how do you scale and what decisions we made to scale, it's really just being really intellectually honest with ourselves and with the various functions to think about what's the biggest bottleneck right now from preventing us to grow. Is it on the engineering side? Is it on the sales side? Is it on some other function of the company? Maybe even something like support, for example. Uh, I think just being able to have those open, honest conversations and really understanding the integral part that each function plays in your company's ability to scale, I think is really important. And obviously for DoorDash, some of the things I mentioned were critical, but for other companies out there, it can certainly be very different, right? But um, yeah, for us, just recognizing all the different pieces that are required to make this three-sided marketplace work and just having that open dialogue about what's what's the biggest bottleneck right now um and i think it's funny because that's the conversations the exact conversations you have and you know month one or year one is like what's the biggest bottleneck for us right now and i think um even as you scale and get bigger those questions don't change but those questions become harder to have a dialogue around if you can be, start to become very defensive about whether the company is a certain way or another. Gotcha. Okay, that was awesome. Um, final question, or two last questions. Um, I guess, you know, since since running a fast growth company uh, like DoorDash, um, you guys are crushing it. You're doing a tremendous job. Love the product, love the service, what you guys are doing. Um, just three pieces, actionable items that you have for early stage startup founders from everything you've learned thus far, three action items. And then the last question will be, um, where's the best place people can find you? Three action items that I give startup founders. Uh, I, I would say number one is just don't think too much about whether or not you're, you have the right idea at the right time. A lot of what allowed us to grow in the beginning, I think something I've learned over time, especially going through the YC batch uh, in 2013 was, Every great company from the beginning requires a lot of uh, manual lifting from the founders. And I don't think, even if you have a great idea, uh, that doesn't change. So I would say just be prepared to do the manual work. I think that's number one. Uh, number two, I think something we talked about earlier is uh, develop 
relationships and trust uh, with your co-founders and your early employees. You know, very oftentimes your early employees become culture carriers and integral people in your company as you scale. And obviously, same goes for your co-founders. So, uh, if you do not develop that relationship, you're almost certainly doomed to not make it very far. Uh, number three is have fun doing it. I know it seems a little cheesy, but uh, you go through a lot of rough times uh, in the early days starting a company, a lot of times of doubt, a lot of times of uncertainty. Just enjoy enjoy the ride. I think uh, it's a very exhilarating experience. You learn a ton along the way. Don't take that for granted. And just enjoy the experience of building something great with people. Um, and I think it'll, it'll make it just that much uh, more enjoyable. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, so those are my three action items. I think uh, last question you said was around best way to contact me. Yeah, or, or yeah, find out more about DoorDash. Yeah, so I think DoorDash, uh, you go to our website, obviously, DoorDash.com. Um, we have a blog at blog.doordash.com as well. That kind of goes through you know, various parts of our company, whether it's the product or markets we've launched and things like that. Yeah, and then obviously we have a Twitter, Facebook, we definitely have social media channels on all, all the all the big platforms. Awesome. Well, look, um, yeah, we can wrap there. But look, thank you so much, Andy. That was a great conversation, man. Um, yeah, I think people will really value it. Yeah, thanks so much, Nathan, for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.